2: That is douglas.ca slash This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash to help us treat addiction and build hope. Paula Simons was one of us. Now she's one of them. She's crossed over to the dark side, as we say. You see, we don't take kindly to journalists who become politicians. The general idea is that if you're a journalist, then politicians and political parties should mostly just hate you. And if they don't, if they like you, if they in fact like you so much that they ask you to come work for them or run for them, or if they offer you a cushy appointment, Well, when exactly did you start interviewing for that job? It's pretty hard to write a scathing column or story about the person you are hoping to get hired by. Mike Duffy's colleagues called him senator for many years before Harper actually made him a senator. It was not a compliment. Now, Paula Simons is no Mike Duffy. Throughout her years as an Edmonton Journal columnist, she swung hard and often at the powers that be with no discernible partisan allegiance. And as a senator, she's been, well, she's been super weird. Good weird, maybe. Tweeting constantly and earnestly and interestingly about what it is like to be a senator. Nerdy first day of school stuff. Also angry stuff about shitty procedural problems. Tactical stuff against her other senators. And a lot of live tweeting of Senate debates and procedures from the floor. I don't think any Canadian senator has ever before made it their business to offer this level of transparency. They're usually happy for us to just kind of forget that they exist. But not Paula Simons. She very much wants us to know that she exists. What's going on? Does Paula Simons just miss writing columns? And how can she call herself an independent senator when she got the job from Justin Trudeau himself? Well, in a minute, I'll ask her. (laughs) This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Richard Sansom, Teresita Del Fuego, Walter Brox, Jonathan Marshall, Autumn Essington, Mara Nisrala, Nolan Evans, and Ian Reeves. Hi, my name is Ian Reeves, and I'm a policy analyst in Ottawa, Ontario. I've supported Canada Land for the last few years because on top of the great work that you do, Uh, Every week, just discussing the media, you've grown exactly in the way that you said you were going to by focusing on bringing more alternative voices into my ears every week and challenging me, but also by doing some great investigative work, in particular, the investigative work into money laundering housing prices in Vancouver and the work in Thunder Bay. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com
0: CanadaLand.
2: How goes the senator? How you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well. I'm quite happy to be back in Edmonton, where up until today, we've been having lovely balmy weather. And every time I read the Ottawa weather report and see that it's minus 25 there and plus eight here, I'm happy to have a job that allows me to be in two different places.
2: Thank you for talking with me. I'm I'm so glad to be speaking with you, both because I'm a huge admirer and because I I just like that I can say Senator. Is that okay? I'll just call you Senator... (laughs)
0: It's really funny. My daughter, who's 22 and sarcastic, as is appropriate when you're 22, we were in some public crowded place and she was trying to get my attention. And she finally said, Senator. And I turned around and she was like, oh, my gosh, you actually respond to it. But it is a very difficult thing to get used to. I was I was explaining to the school group I was speaking to today that when you're a journalist. No one pays you deference. Nobody opens the door for you as a reporter, literally or figuratively. And so it's a great shock to the system. A lot of my fellow senators are retired judges, retired deans or presidents of universities. They're, you know, they've held positions of esteem and respect. I've been a reporter, which is not a position of esteem and respect. So I still do a double take every time somebody opens the door for me.
2: Is that a weird feeling? I think that I would have trouble with being respected. I don't, I don't know if that would sit well with me.
0: It is a very weird feeling. I mean, being a journalist is not actually a grown-up job. And I've managed to achieve the ripe old age of 54 without ever really having any management responsibility or any other professional responsibility beyond my relationship with my readers. And so to suddenly be an important person is is a great shock to the system. And I'm not quite used to it. And I'm very grateful that I'm an independent senator. So at least if I'm coloring outside the lines, there's nobody who can really spank me for it.
2: God help us, any of us uh, in journalism who become respectable. Why would you do it? Why are you a senator, Senator?
0: I'm hoping to make trouble in a different other way. I mean, I've spent the last 18 years of my life analyzing public policy Asking tough questions of politicians, asking really difficult questions about whether public policy plans are appropriate. Those are exactly the things that I need to be doing in the Senate. And I think, especially as an independent senator, it's incumbent upon me, without fear or favor, to look at every piece of legislation that comes before us and to ask the same kinds of tough questions that I would have done as a journalist.
2: You know, journalists who go into politics are not so highly thought of amongst fellow journalists. I won't ask you to speak ill of uh, Senator Duffy, so, uh, so I'll speak ill of him. He was reviled, even when he was a journalist, because of his aspirations to be a senator. And he was very mockingly referred to as the senator, even when he was still a reporter. And then you move on to, like, I don't know, you were tweeting about this story where this uh, CBC Calgary story, uh, a Freedom of Information request, revealed that it was actually handed over to local government before it was published.
0: And not by the columnist. I mean, just to to be clear about this, the, the implication of that story is that somebody from inside the Calgary Sun Herald newsroom slipped an unedited copy of the column before it had gone online to people in politics who would have had questions about that column and columnist.
2: The columnist, I assume, is, is horrified by this, but it's interesting to me to read who it was slipped to in the city's communications department. It was uh, Vicki Megrath
0: who uh, works for the city, works in politics, former journalist for The Sun. I really wrestled with this because I have a lot of former colleagues who have left journalism to go into media relations for branches of government because we all know that the pool for reporting jobs is drying up you know, like sloughs in the Saskatchewan summer, the the water is disappearing. And then where do people go? My joke was always that I would open a falafel stand when there was no work for me at the journal. So when I decided to apply for the Senate, I really agonized over it ethically. And the rationalization I offered myself and which I offer unto you is that at the Edmonton Journal, I did not do a lot of coverage of federal politics. I wrote primarily about municipal and provincial issues. And when I wrote about federal issues, they were usually things to do with local MPs or issues that had a direct impact on Edmonton. When I was being vetted for this position, one of the the people who was vetting me asked, had I ever written anything that might come back to embarrass the prime minister? And I said, oh, yeah, lots of things.
2: (laughs) Hopefully, right?
0: He was a bit taken aback. And, you know, when when the prime minister called to, to offer me the appointment, he was quite sweet. He said, I'm a long time reader of your column. And I thought, well, OK. <laughs> it was nicely meant. I don't know how much time Justin Trudeau has spent reading my coverage of Edmonton City Council, but we appreciated the thought. And And then he said, you know, and sometimes I read your column and think, you know, she's absolutely got it. He said, and other times I've read your column and, you know, not so much. And I thought, well, OK, that's exactly what I want him to think. I'm sitting as an independent. You know, I'm not there to carry water for for this government or any other government. I'm there to serve the people of Alberta and through them, the people of Canada.
2: Okay, so there's kind of two issues with journalists going into politics. The first one you've identified being like, if you had been covering federal politics, then it kind of gets a little bit uneasy. Had you been using the last years of your column to curry favored in order to get a political
0: appointment? I don't think anybody just read my column could legitimately make out that case. But certainly that, that was an argument that people made at the time of my appointment. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is kind of the
2: sense of, like, if the prime minister is a fan, how good a job did you do? Like, you know, it's almost a certain embarrassment (laughs) that we take. Like, you're not supposed to like me that much.
0: I guess what you really want is the grudging respect of the people that you cover. I don't necessarily want people to think that I'm unfair or I'm unscrupulous. I want them to think that I've held them to account and that occasionally I've made them better.
2: They never think that. (laughs) I mean, if you do your job really, really well and really embarrassed, then they're not like, well, she's got my grudging respect. They hate your
0: guts. Well, you know, maybe, maybe in Edmonton. I don't know. But uh, the one and only time I've met the prime minister was in the wake of the Fort McMurray wildfire. And I was part of a scrum of journalists who yelled questions at him, and he wasn't very happy with us. That is the only time I've been in the same room with him. And I've had one phone call with him. It would be pretty hard to curry favor with somebody who doesn't know you exist.
2: I mean, that's that's the other reason why journalists don't like journalists who go into politics, is that usually their new job is spinning journalists and using their connections to get inside tracks on information and to get favorable coverage. I mean, that that's part of why the enmity exists, I guess.
0: Being a senator is a little bit different than being an elected politician for good and for bad. I mean... For good and for bad, I have this gig till I'm 75, barring walking in front of a, a bus. But I don't have to run for re-election. I don't have to spin anyone. I would like people to think I'm doing a good job, but whether they think I'm doing a good job or not, I'm I'm there. <laughs> That's how it works.
2: Did you have land, or did you have to go buy four thousand dollars worth of land? You got to be a, you got to be a landowner to be a senator.
0: I have to tell you this this is pretty funny. I applied to do this. I don't want to say on a lark, but let's just say on a dare. I wasn't even sure. Frankly, it's really hard to upload things to the site. I thought maybe it didn't even upload. I had really put it out of my mind. And I was on holiday with my daughter. And I got an email from Ottawa saying, we're just doing some background checks. So they wanted proof that I owned a house and that I actually lived in it, that I actually lived in Edmonton. Because
2: that's been an issue lately for some of your colleagues there.
0: And then they said, okay, we need to know that you've got $4,000 worth of assets. So I screen captured my bank statements and sent them. They said, no, 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 no. What we need from you is a signed attestation that you are worth more than $4,000. I said, well... Do I need it to be notarized? At that point, I was in Rome and I thought, where am I going to find a Roman notary who's going to? And they said, no, 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 just sign it, but like don't tell anybody about this. So I took a piece of scrap paper out of the back of my daughter's travel journal and I wrote on it, you know, I, Paula Simons, I, I'm not a lawyer, so I like made, I made up some form of words, you know, do solemnly attest that, you know, I have a net worth of more than $4,000 and I signed it. And I thought I had scrambled up the piece of paper and thrown it out, but my daughter found it like lying on the floor. And she's like, are you okay? Like why why are, why are you running around Italy writing on pieces of paper that you are worth more than $4,000? You described the
2: process like, you know, I thought it would be a bit more complicated than like my process for getting my kid into a good daycare.
0: It was a really complicated uploading thing, and I had a, this funny conversation with one of my fellow fairly new senators, and he said he had to get like a special IT person into his office, and I felt much better cuz I thought I was the only village idiot who couldn't manage to upload. I think that was the first test. If you can't manage to apply to be a senator, you can't be a senator.
2: So let's talk about the kind of senator that you've been. I don't think you've been embarrassing your constituents or yourself, but maybe you've been embarrassing other senators. I don't know that there's anything in your tweets to embarrass them, but you don't hear much about the Canadian Senate. And I don't really, I'll confess, I don't know much about how it works or what it does, save what I have read through your tweets and also what I have read through a very ill-advised children's book that the Senate published uh, a year ago.
0: Yeah, the wise owls. We, we won't be unkind about that. Yeah. Anyway, here's the thing. There are lots of people in the Senate who are smarter than I am, and they are subject matter experts. I mean, there are retired judges and federal court judges and people who ran security commissions. I'm a journalist, so, you know, we're jack-of-all-trade, master-of-none. I know a very little bit about a lot of different things. I realized early on that the thing I can do Is explain how the Senate works. That is what I'm trained to do, to explain government processes to people in an understandable way. So this, I mean, this really sort of gelled during the emergency debate on whether or not to order the postal workers back to work. I thought this is interesting. This is important. I'll live tweet this the way I would a press conference, the way I would have as a journalist. You know, people said to me afterwards, you know, were you allowed to do that? And all I can say is that nobody's yet told me that I'm not allowed to do it. And that may be because up until this point, I haven't been tweeting in a terribly partisan way. I've been tweeting the way I would have as a columnist. So it's not without some opinion, but I'm trying to be as transparent as possible.
2: Well, hold on. It was more than opinion, uh, because you kind of framed that, that you've taken on the role as the sort of civics explainer of the Senate, and in large part you have. But the thread that you're talking about, the live tweeting of that bill, you went beyond just explaining what was going on. You used Twitter to exert public pressure, to solicit public pressure on your fellow senators. So that's kind of punk rock, kind of a new thing.
0: In all honesty, in that debate, I was making up my own mind. I think where I have used my Twitter account to exert pressure was more recently as we were approaching the Bill C-69 debate. I mean, C-69 is the giant impact assessment bill that deals with energy mega projects. And here in Alberta, it's an extremely contentious debate. And I was concerned because we're not going back to the Senate when we were originally scheduled. We were supposed to resume at the end of January. And because renovations are behind on the railway building that we're moving into, we weren't going to be sitting until closer to the end of February. And I was concerned because I think it's very important that the Senate Energy Committee on which I sit get to work on Bill C-69 with amendments and analysis. And there was some debate about whether or not we should start the committee work before the Senate starts sitting. And so I did say to people, well, do you want your senators... To actually do the work of being senators, you you might want to let them know that. that. That was perhaps a bit cheeky.
2: And then you specifically said, if you would like this committee to meet sooner rather than later, please let Chair Senator Rosa Galvez and Deputy Chair Senator McDonald know we're debating the issue right now. In fact, so you're like the new kid in school and you're appealing to the public to put pressure on your fellow senators who usually do everything under like cloak of secrecy. I don't know if I'm grilling you on this or if I should be applauding it. Has anyone ever done that before?
0: Well, not on Twitter, I'm guessing. I don't know how much longer I'm going to get away with being the bratty new kid in the Senate.
2: Until you're 75, what can they do? You're bulletproof.
0: It's an interesting thing. I was speaking to a group of grade eight and nine students at a junior high program, and one of the kids said to me, you know, what happens to you if you're rude as a senator? I said, but the real issue is how many enemies do you want to make in an environment where you need allies to get stuff done, so I've kind of been coasting on my new kid charm, and eventually somebody's going to say, "You know what? You're just obnoxious, and you should stop that."
2: I mean, yes, you have to live with these people. You're all there till you're 75, and, and if you want to get stuff done, but the willingness to piss people off—that's a journalistic trait.
0: You know, you do, you do need to move legislation forward. And I may be naive because I don't want to alienate the people on the Energy Committee. I want amendments to Bill C-69 that are the amendments that I think the bill needs to be better for the country and better for my province. So it's not my end game to make everybody dislike me. It's my end game to try and get that bill in and out of committee before it falls off the end of the order paper. You know. People here in Alberta who are very angry about C69 have been saying to me, well, this is just proof of why the Senate shouldn't exist. And it's like, no, this is exactly proof of why the Senate should exist. Because if you want the Senate, an independent Senate, and remember, there are now 54 independent senators as of the Christmas break. The prime minister appointed four new senators in December. I don't want to speak for them, but I think in all probability, at least some of them will join the independent Senate group. So there are going to be a significant number, a significant majority of independent senators. The only justification for us as independent senators is to make the Senate relevant for the 21st century. And if we're going to be relevant for the 21st century, we have to meet people where they are. And that includes on social media platforms.
2: I think it also means you have to meet the public's skepticism around this idea of an independent senator who is appointed by a prime minister who liked your column. Yeah, you know, I understand that you're a very far thing from a lifelong Liberal Party hack,
0: but if the prime minister didn't like your columns, then you might not be a senator. This is the challenge, right? Because I would say the majority of the independent Senate appointments have, have been people like me who have been nonpartisan, whether they've come from the diplomatic corps or from the RCMP or from the bench. And other people have been more party partisans. I mean, the prime minister has also appointed a former NDP cabinet minister from Ontario, provincial NDP cabinet minister. I believe he's also appointed a former progressive conservative MLA from Prince Edward Island. But let it be said, he's not appointing a bunch of people that a prime minister Andrew Scheer or a prime minister Stephen Harper would have been fishing in.
2: I mean, look, you get to appoint people who are going to have a say over whether your legislation goes into law or not. I mean, he's got every reason. You're
0: not, you're not going to appoint a bunch of your political enemies. No prime minister is going to do that.
2: So if the Senate is important, as you assert, and it's not just there to rubber stamp and it's not just there as a political arm of uh, the prime minister's office, what happens if you feel really passionately about something? Like, let's say, as a former journalist, I don't even know what your position is on this. Uh, let's say you had strong feelings about the newspaper bailout. What could you do
0: I would start by doing what I've already done and say on social media that I think it's a very poor idea. I don't think that legacy media companies that have had failing business models, I don't know how much sense it makes to bail them out at the expense of emergent media. You know, I love my colleagues at the Edmonton Journal. I had fabulous local editors, local managers there. I wish the very best for the Edmonton Journal. I don't think the very best includes bailing out the hedge funds that own Post Media. I don't think the very best for the media industry is to bail out corporate owners of the Globe and Mail or the Toronto Star. I just don't think that that is a good use of taxpayer money. And I have to say, lots of journalists who work for those newspapers don't think it's a good use of taxpayer money either.
2: That's true, they don't. But their jobs, unlike yours, rely on it. And I know that makes it not a difficult position for you to put forward.
0: It's much easier for me to be all high and mighty since since I'm not relying on Paul Godfrey for a paycheck. But I don't think that issue is ever going to come to the Senate. The Senate doesn't get to vote to defeat something just because it doesn't like it. The Senate is the appointed, not the elected House, and the Senate shows deference to the elected House. So for the Senate as a body to defeat a piece of government legislation, that piece of government legislation has to be fundamentally flawed along constitutional charter lines, or it has to be an egregious betrayal of a particular region. We can amend things. And we can let things die on the order paper.
2: Well, that's the big one. You can get rid of legislation by letting it die on the vine. I mean, I guess this gets to the crux of the question is, does the Senate matter? It's like, you know, Paula Simons, the columnist, especially as a post-media employee, uh, using the pulpit of, of a well-respected column saying this bailout is a bad idea, that's got a lot of weight. It would be a stretch, but you, you actually could mount an argument that this is a violation of the Charter because the Charter guarantees us free expression, and I don't know how a, a press can be a, a free press that has free expression if it's dependent on the government for its very existence, but it ain't going to happen. It's not coming forth before the senator. So now you've kind of got whatever gravitas a senator has to decry that. I don't know where you had more power. It's a good question.
0: Newspaper columnists like to think that when they write thundering columns of moral damnation, that they make a difference. And there are certain issues in Alberta where I'm proud to say that investigations I did, especially into child welfare failures, actually made a difference, actually changed government policy. The odds that an Edmonton Journal columnist can move the dial on a federal issue is a different thing. I
2: guess so, but you're right. You are a powerful columnist. The power of the press can be really, one, especially if you are giving voice to something that no one else is, and you're right, you can change things. You dealt with foster care in Alberta. We have a problem across this country, especially with, with Indigenous people. And, and I, th- I think we're going to look back on this with every bit as much judgment and scorn as we do the sixty Scoop or residential schools or anything else when we look at what's going on right now.
0: I haven't stopped fighting on that issue, and now I've got tremendous allies. You know, I would like to think, as independent senators in this social media age, we have a voice in a way we never would have had if we'd been in a whipped caucus or if we hadn't had social media. I think part of the job of being a senator is to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. And I think, if I'm going to have a job till I'm 75, what I'd better do with it is take chances and take risks, and I'd better push. Because who is better situated to push than I am? Let us also be honest, Jesse. If I'd been working for the Edmonton Journal, would I have written a column that we would have published about what a terrible business model Postmedia had and how I didn't think Paul Godfrey and the Golden Tree Hedge Fund should get a bailout? I don't know. Maybe I would have drafted that column. Maybe my editors would have run it. But we'll never know. Now I can speak out without fear or favor.
2: What you just said is really extraordinary. I think you hit the nail on the head, but it really is something we have not experienced before. I think you're absolutely right. Whatever procedural power you have as an independent senator and all of the limitations on it that you've pointed out, it may be vastly outweighed by the power you have as a vocal, loudmouth senator, which Canada's never really seen before. It's kind of better than a column, isn't it? Paul Godfrey can't fire you or or censor you. (laughs)
0: What I really want to do is to be the loudmouth senator, but only if I've got something worth saying. I mean, this is the thing you learn as a newspaper columnist. You can't be outraged about everything all the time. Wait, you can't? People then tune you out. You have to calibrate your degree of outrage for the occasion. You have to have the information and the research and the arguments to back up your case. You can't just light your hair on fire and go madly off in all directions.
2: Will you be my sponsor? It sounds like I could
0: use the help. This is good advice. <laughs> you have to pick your battles. And you have to make sure that when, you, that when you head out onto the battlefield, you've got your armor and your equipment. I don't want to be shooting out, off my mouth about every issue. I don't want to be tweeting glibly about every issue that comes down the pike. I do want that when I speak, that people have enough respect for me that they actually listen.
2: And you don't have to file twice a week anymore. You can just speak when you, when you want to, not when you need to.
0: I have to say, I wrote three to four columns a week and so many, so many other things.
2: <laughs> You've got a pretty good track record of isolating things that are true and that are right, that, and that haven't been said loudly enough. How bad could it be if you keep doing that? that has got to be a good thing.
0: I still feel like it's the world's longest candid camera gambit, but... You know, at the end of three months, I had found all the bathrooms and now we're moving to a new building. I'm going to have to start all over again.
2: And you found the good vending machine with the good peanuts too.
0: I found the good vending machine with the good peanuts. People are like, what? Well, she's, she's tweeting about eating peanuts. It's like, yes, yes, yes. In in amongst the cogent public policy analysis, I am prov- I am attempting to provide some entertainment value by letting people in on the day I lost my wallet at the Ottawa airport, the day I found the peanut vending machine at 10 o'clock at night and got my peanut dinner. I also know that because I came from a media background, that all my media colleagues will be keeping a close eye on what I'm doing. And I have a fabulous colleague in Edmonton, Charles Rusnell, who used to work with me at the Journal and then went to the CBC and he's sort of their digger investigative journalist. And I want you to know that before I sign any expense claim, before I, before I charge anything to the taxpayer, I think to myself, what would Chuck Rusnell say? And then I just eat the peanuts.
2: Senator, what is the most expensive thing you've put on that expense account?
0: I have to say that up until December 14th, I only flew economy because I'm allowed to fly business class. But every time I looked at the price and I book my own travel, my Jewish Mennonite roots just don't allow me to pay rack rate for an airplane flight. Just not possible. So I keep flying economy. And so I'm sitting like way back in zone five and I get on the plane every Thursday and the, the front of the plane is all full of everybody else from Edmonton who's in parliament, the senators and the, and the MPs you know, from all three parties, and then I hoof it to the back. And I haven't minded that because frankly, you know, it's the front of the plane, you're on a plane for four hours. The movies are the same. In the front, they get warm nuts. But I was very proud of the fact that I was not going to fly business class. And then the last night I left Ottawa, there was an ice storm And our flight out of Ottawa was delayed. I knew I was going to miss my connection in Toronto. And Air Canada's plan was for me to spend the night at the airport and then fly to Vancouver and then fly back to Edmonton and get here basically 24 hours after I was supposed to. And I whipped out my phone and I booked myself the last business class ticket from Toronto to Edmonton. And every time I think about it, I feel slightly sick to my stomach. That was the most expensive thing.
2: That's your answer that you once... Flew business class, and then you tried to make up the difference with your... That should be a scandal just based on the fact that that's so pathetic. This is inter-Canada
0: travel. you got to travel back and forth constantly. Having had a journalist's expense account, which is to say nothing at all. Anytime I expense anything, it feels so decadent.
2: I can't, I can't even talk to you. I don't know what your other senators must think of you.
0: It's really tough. There's there's this weird double standard. Like I saw a tweet out the other day that the Conservatives had sent out slamming Jane Philpott, who is moving from Indigenous services to be head of the Treasury Board, president of the Treasury Board. And they were condemning her because the taxpayers had paid for her membership in the Maple Leaf Lounge. Well, as far as I know, you're entitled to buy a membership to the Maple Leaf Lounge. So I bought the cheapest Maple Leaf Lounge membership because I'm flying economy. That way I can sit in the Maple Leaf Lounge and I can eat the free food in there. And then I don't claim the per diem when I eat the free food in the Maple Leaf Lounge. So to me, I probably already saved the taxpayers that amount of money. But the conservatives were condemning her for taking a perk that I'm pretty sure every conservative senator takes. It makes me really upset when I see people being whipped up into this frenzy. Oh, you know, this party person is breaking the rules and doing this when their own party is doing the same thing. At least let's not be hypocritical about it. We all know that MPs and senators get perks that would make other people jealous. These are the the ground rules of, of being in the Senate or being an MP. As long as you're not abusing the rules, it seems to me pretty cheap politics to condemn your opponents for doing exactly what your own people are doing. If you want Integrity in politics don't beat up on politicians for following the rules and don't beat up on politicians selectively for part maybe this sounds extraordinarily naive for silly partisan reasons when your own party is doing precisely the same thing.
2: It's almost as if Ottawa is uh, a petty gutter sniping partisan mess or something like that. It, it almost seems that way. Uh,
0: what, is it, what is it that Francis Eric says you may well think that I could not possibly comment.
2: Just just be careful about your orange juice purchases. That's all I'll say.
0: Well, but you know, this is the thing. I mean, I was, like every other Canadian, I was all outraged that Bev Oda charged $16 orange juice. And then a couple of years later, I went to London. Everything costs $16 in London. I mean, sometimes we get outraged about entirely trivial things. By all means, Let's keep government spending in line. Let's not have people f- spending money on frivolous things and wasting tax dollars. But you know these things become they become so blown out of proportion, and what we should be really worried about is, you know the amount of money that is wasted on boondoggle projects or the lost opportunity costs of not funding public policy that would really make a difference to people's lives. The whole point of being a senator. Is to do something. It's it's not my retirement plan. You know. I hope the rest of my media colleagues, uh, yourself included, will hold my feet to the fire because that's where toes of politicians belong.
2: Senator Simons, I'll do my best to do just that. But I also kind of want to be on the inside track, so you can tell me how to get in when it's my turn. <laughs> not gonna happen. I don't, I don't. I don't think it's gonna happen. All right. We'll talk later. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is your Canada Land episode. I want to hear what you have to say about it. Please email me at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. We are on Twitter at Canada Land, and our website is canadalandshow.com. And on Tuesday, you will find a new episode of Canada Land Commons, Commons continuing its series on corruption in Canada, This shit is bonkers this week. This story, have you heard about this one where the the British Columbia surgeon-at-arms-and-clerk went on this wild spending spree and they bought fancy mustard and, and fancy clothes, general haberdashery and fancy boy accoutrements? Just absolute corruption in B.C. Commons has the story. Check that podcast out. It's fantastic. This episode was produced by Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do and you want to get ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, you can do so when you support us with five bucks or more a month at patreon.com canadaland Please do.